0: Heavenly Father, we beseech thee. I kneel before you as a member of this age-old craft, praying to you for guidance as I am on a journey. A journey for more light, but more especially light that has been lost, forgotten, We're hidden among the ages gone by, the light that connects us with our very meaning and informs us of our purpose. Light locked deep within our past, beyond lips that no longer speak, and paths forgotten, no longer traveled. Aid me in my pursuit, Lord, for historical light. everybody, welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. As always, I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers, and I want to thank you for joining us again for episode number 17. Today, we're very excited to have on the show Brother James Morgan III, who is the Associate Grand Historian and Archivist for the Prince Hall Jurisdiction of Masons in Washington, D.C. But before we get to that, let's start off like we always do with our friends over at MasonryToday.com to see just what happened in Masonic history today. Today in Masonic History, Arthur Edward Waite is born in 1857. Arthur Waite was an American-born British poet, writer, and occultist. He was born October 2nd, 1857 in Brooklyn, New York. His father passed away when Waite was young. His widowed mother moved them to her home country of England, where Waite was raised and educated in a small private school in North London. At the age of 13, he was sent to St. Charles College. He would leave school to become a clerk, and in his spare time would write verse. In 1874, Waite's sister, Frederica, passed away. This led Waite to begin research in psychic matters and other occult topics. He spent many hours reading in the library at the British Museum, studying various branches of esotericism. In 1891, Waite joined the Outer Order of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. He'd remained in the order until 1914, with a brief break from 1893 to 1896, pardon me, His time in the Order was filled with strife. The internal feuding did not end until Waite finally left the Order in 1914. In the Order, Waite encountered Aleister Crowley. The two are often described as foes, although that does not do justice to the nature of their relationship. Crowley referred to Waite as the villainous Earth Waite in his novel Moonchild, and in the magazine Equinox, Crowley referred to Waite as Dead Waite. Waite wrote many books. The main topics he wrote about were divination, esotericism, Rosicrucianism, Freemasonry, ceremonial magic, cabalism, and alchemy. In 1921, he wrote a new encyclopedia of Freemasonry. One of Waite's most notable achievements was that he was the co-creator of the popular and widely used Writer Waite Tarot Desks. He also wrote the companion book, The Key to the Tarot. Waite passed away May 19th of 1942. He joined Freemasonry in 1901, joining Rooney Meadie Lodge, number 2430, in Waysbury, England. It is believed that Waite was motivated to join Freemasonry because of his interest in the higher degrees, specifically the Royal Arch and later the Knights Templar, York Rite Commandery, which he did end up joining. All right, well, thank you once again to our friends over at MasonryToday.com and keep up the great work. Now, let's jump over and pay the bills. Today's episode is brought to you in part by our sponsor Masonic Revival. If you haven't checked them out, definitely do so today right after the show at masonicrevival.com. You're going to find a great source there of Masonic apparel, bow ties, neckties, and so much more and if you use our promo code, you can get free shipping on your entire order, so definitely take advantage of that today and that promo code is all caps, one word, light. I repeat that, all caps, one word, Hlight. We'll get you free shipping on your entire order today at MasonicRevival.com. Now, this episode is also brought to you in part by viewers like you, so if you like what we do here and want to see us continue, help fund the show and replace some old equipment, as you know, we've had some issues lately with the computer that caused us to miss the last episode, so trying to uh, replace some old equipment and get some additional equipment to bring you better quality um, material from outside just the studio, you can support the episodes yourself by going to our website, historicallight.com clicking on the support us tab and uh, donating to the show safely and securely through PayPal. We definitely appreciate uh, if you would consider that and supporting the show and our future. All right. So with that, we will jump right into today's interview. I hope you enjoy. everybody welcome back to historical light very pleased to have on the show tonight brother james morgan from dc area on the prince hall side brother morgan if you don't mind i'll hand it over to you if you want to further introduce yourself tell us a little bit about your background
1: Certainly. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is James Morgan III. I am a past master of Corinthian Lodge Number 18, uh, which operates under the auspices of the most worshipful Prince Hall Grand Lodge of the District of Columbia, where the Honorable Philip David is our 85th Grand Master. I have the pleasure and honor of serving as the worshipful Associate Grand Historian and Archivist for the Prince Hall Masons of Washington, D.C., and I also have the honor of being a co-panelist on the Prince Hall Think Tank uh, YouTube show, which, much like Uh, What you do here, Brother Power, is a Historical Light, uh, where we discuss uh, a lot of Prince Hall-specific history. And so, uh, you know, our mission, although we're doing things in different channels, our missions are are aligned. So I'm just very honored and happy to be here.
0: Indeed, indeed. And I'm a big fan. So thank you guys so much for putting that information out there. You guys are doing a great job on that end. Now, I do want to jump in and ask you, what kind of family history, uh, if any, do you have within Freemasonry?
1: Oh man well uh, I have quite a bit of family history of Freemasonry which I did not know about when I uh, when I joined and and was raised as a master mason in 2010 Um, I'm also uh, very active in the african-american genealogy community I'm a member of uh, several genealogy societies and uh, in my journey to, to further Masonic knowledge, uh, eventually one day I kind of got the idea of looking up my own family history, and and f- found out I was actually a seventh generation Prince Hall Mason, although mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I, although I didn't know that when I joined, so uh, I'm one of probably very few. Uh, today who's done that research and I can actually say that I have an ancestor who was actually born into uh, Chattel slavery, but before he passed from this earth actually became a, uh, a founding member of his of his Masonic Lodge actually uh, that that individual's name was Joseph McBride and he was a uh, the charter secretary for uh, Myrtle Lodge 162 PHA in um, in Pike County, Alabama And his lodge by the way still exists, which is which is which I think is kind of amazing. So um, Yeah, that, that, that was really uh, I was a, it was a big honor for me to find that out.
0: That's intense. And I, I can definitely uh, kind of gather thoughts with you on that as far as getting into genealogy. You're much more experienced in it than I, and I've taken a lot oh, of no. notes from you over time. But mm-hmm. it is an addictive pastime, is it not? Definitely.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And then, especially when you start getting into uh, Masonic history. Uh, because for me, um, I look at Masonic Lodge histories really as, as great windows into local history. So, for example, as I mentioned with... Um, was my grandfather uh, joseph mcbride the first record i found of him as a mason was from 1911 listed and at that time he was serving as treasurer of his lodge well the funny thing about that was the junior warden at that time was named toby townsend immediately i already knew who, who these individuals were because toby townsend was brother mcbride's son-in-law my third great grandfather and by the way at that time i i was Uh, I was still I believe I still was junior warden of my lodge so it was like I was junior warden and here it is I have a record of my third-grade grandfather serving as junior warden with my fourth-grade grandfather as treasurer I mean that you know that that really um, it it really bugged me out, but it also uh, reinscribed in my heart the uh, important obligation we have as Masons today because Freemasonry To me doesn't belong to us today. It really belongs to those who are coming after us So uh, Yeah,
0: very well said brother and you know, I, I can uh, I can touch on that. You know, myself, I've been able to track back being a fifth generation mason. Mm-hmm. There's speculation farther than that, but nothing I can hard put to paper there. Right. But mm-hmm. it's it's very cool how it it just automatically creates that unspoken bond uh, to mm-hmm. family before you. You've never met before, didn't have any idea they even existed, and sometimes, but all of a sudden, you're brothers, and you got that true bond there. It's absolutely it's something, something pretty magical about that.
1: Absolutely.
0: Now, jumping in, you said you didn't, you weren't aware of uh, this Masonic family history before actually coming into the craft. So, what is it that actually uh, made you want to make that leap into Freemasonry and become a Mason?
1: Um, to be honest with you, I was I was always interested in, uh, I guess you would say, antiquarian type of information and and, and uh, organizations and different kind of teachings and whatnot. Uh, I became very interested in Freemasonry around two thousand. I would say, well, I remember distinctly. I bought my first. Masonic book in 2008, uh, and I was interested, wasn't really necessarily trying to join, but was just trying to learn more about it, and um, the more I learned, the more interested I became in joining, and I was kind of aware of Prince Hall Masonry, but not really, uh, and then what ended up happening was that uh, I got a book, which actually I happen to have right here. Uh, I, I picked this book up, uh, Black Square and Compass: 200 Years of Prince Hall Masonry by Joseph Walks, and uh, I became very fascinated, not only with what freemasonry is in and of itself but to learn the history of prince hall masonry uh which for those who may not know is, is the historically african american branch of the masonic family uh for me as a you know 20 something early 20 you know young black man in america uh it really spoke to a certain to a very intimate place for me uh, to To hear these stories and to learn, and I remember distinctly thinking even as far as back then, wondering, Hey, did I have any relatives that were involved in in masonry or anything? uh you know never knowing what it was at that time uh so the, the more I learned, the more I realized some of the men who who I already looked up to in African American history were uh were not just masons themselves but were very active leaders in the organization, uh particularly if you read that book, you 'll learn about uh, brother martin delaney who was who was uh, who was a big, big, um, figure in my, I guess you'd say development in terms of historical studies. Uh, and so when I learned that he was a Mason and how, how important Masonry was to him, by the time I was done reading that chapter in that book, that's when I said, I'm going to join this organization. Cause that's how much I, I really admire Martin Delaney uh, quite a bit.
0: Wonderful. And you know, I, I really don't get why today there's still so much controversy between, mm-hmm mainstream masonry and Prince Hall but I'm glad to say here in the state of Kansas both of our Grand Lodges are extremely tight-knit we continue right. to do work to uh, to keep those bonds grown and I hope to see that continue you know through the, the United States and around because we're all brothers at the end of the day absolutely so it's, absolutely absolutely it's crazy yeah,
1: it, it, if I can say one last thing on that before you before move on uh, just as I said it's a history it's Masonic Lodges are a window into local history to me they are a window into family history and I think one issue that Uh, no one even including myself has really truly dealt with is part of the history of Prince Hall masonry is a history of early mixed-race America you know the the term you know used to be mulatto right and so uh, uh, I think that there's a very again there's a very intimate relationship which maybe we can talk about I guess maybe on another episode or something uh, of children or, or sons of prominent white men who were masons and then they come over to the Prince Hall Lodges in town or somewhere else and become members. And so there's this there's this dichotomy of, well, we're all Masons and, and I'm related to you, but we can't acknowledge it. There's kind of a silent relationship there, if that makes sense. So, right. uh, so yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: Well, definitely with, with all the research you've done and got to give mm-hmm. you props for that, your work has definitely amazed me for some time now. I don't don't know how you fit it all in. But Thank you. you've done some pretty impressive uh, research on an area close to me here in Kansas. Yes. So we're gonna hand it over to you and let you share some of that really cool research that you found in uh, the Masonic history within this area of Kansas.
1: Certainly, certainly, uh, and actually it's a great segue because uh, the, my study of Prince Hall history in Kansas actually started as a project for, in genealogy. <laughs> right. uh, in, in April of 2014, um, I was contacted by a young woman um, named Denisha Swanigan, who I credited uh, as a contributor in the paper, um, and she had a letter, which was very interesting. Um, she already knew that she was a great niece of uh, Senator Blanche Kelso Bruce, the first full-term African-American senator. In United States history, uh, who represented Mississippi but had ties to Kansas and Missouri because of his family. Wow. And this, this letter was written on Prince Hall Masonic Lodge, Grand Lodge letterhead. Um, at that time, the Grand Lodge, I think, was styled something, and I'm, I'm going to butcher the name, but at the time it was styled Most Worshipful Grand Lodge of Missouri, Colorado. Uh, Minnesota, like it was like all these different states, right? right. And you know that you know, now, in, in, today in, in Prince Hall Masonry, each of those states have has their own Grand Lodges, but at the time they did not. Um, the thing that was interesting about this letter was that what happened was Senator Bruce, upon being elected to Congress, actually uh, came to Washington D.C., gets married very quickly, and his brother J.J. Uh, uh, J. Bruce was serving as Grand Treasurer of the. Prince Hall Masons in Missouri at the time, he wrote a letter, on letterhead, on behalf of the family, on behalf of, of their mother, basically saying, hey, congratulations, but we just found out about this. Thanks for inviting us. Not... <laughs> wow, <laughs> You know, but basically it was, you know, it was really just a family letter, nothing of, of real Masonic value there. Um, you know, just basically saying, hey, send pictures, we want, Mom wants to hear all about her. But again, there was this letterhead, and, and Miss Swanigan had no idea what the heck it meant. I, being a Masonic historian, could look at it automatically and say, "Oh, I know what time period this is from. I have an idea of who uh, J.J. Bruce would have been around. I already kind of suspected that Blanche Bruce was a mason just from knowing the circles he kind of ran with." And so, that was, you know, really trying. That was really it. We, we started off just trying to learn about J. J. Bruce and Senator Bruce's Masonic history, and then the, the cl- more I got to know Miss Swan again, um, the more I became intrigued. And the reason why I became intrigued was because Blanche and JJ Bruce were not the only siblings that were Masons. Uh, I would find out that uh, JJ was a was a past master of Mount Olive Lodge number fifteen, which uh, excuse me, not Mount Olive, excuse me, um, Olive Branch Lodge number fifteen in okay. Brunswick, Missouri, and then uh, Blanche Bruce was a member of H. Mcgee Alexander Lodge number three in St. Louis, which I believe still exists. Um, but then there were some others. They are also such as Robert and uh, Robert Bruce was, uh, who was a member of our branch. Also Sandy, which was her direct ancestor, and then there was then there was Henry, uh, Henry Bruce, and and brother Bruce, brother Henry C. Bruce, was very interesting. The reason why he was very interesting was because Miss Swanigan actually had a um, a newspaper clipping, which talked about him being shot, and Masonic brothers coming to his, uh, his aid, uh, not, not to his aid medically, but to his aid in terms of them, uh, seeking revenge of, on the person that shot him and that they had chased this guy down and killed him in the streets of Leavenworth, Kansas. Wow. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The thing, but the thing that most intrigued me about this was that there was one person named in the article as a shooter. That person's name was William D. Matthews, who I already knew very well. William Matthews in in Prince Hall history was a very big figure uh, in the post-Civil War years leading up to his death in 1906 uh, for various reasons, which we'll get into in a moment. So when I read this, I said, oh, I know who William Matthews is. I know, you know, so that kind of it it connected in my mind. And the more that we um, dug into the story, uh, the more I realized that the history that has been portrayed in Kansas uh, Masonic history uh, for of, of Prince Hall Masons was not true. Mm. Um, what we would uncover is that uh, we would uncover a story that I believe in, 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 in the paper which I've titled, I'm a worthy adversary, uh, a history of the most worshipful King Solomon Grand Lodge of Kansas from 1867 to 1877. Uh, I document, and I, and I believe I proved that this story was basically erased. Uh, it was erased by um, a man who actually served as Grandmaster of my Grand Lodge, uh, William H. Grimshaw. Anybody who knows or who's really studied Prince Hall Masonic history knows that past Grand Master Grimshaw and his book, his 1903 work, um, The Official History of Freemasonry Among Colored People, uh, he basically – a lot of people will, will, will tell you that he made stuff up. I don't believe that. I believe that his book was a piece of Masonic propaganda that was used to combat – black Masonic organizations that were opposed to what we now know as PHA grand lodges, as well as to combat the, um, abuse that Prince hall Masons were taking from our Caucasian brothers. Okay.
0: Right.
1: To to get back to Kansas. Uh, what happened was that, uh, in Grimshaw's book, he stated in so many words that the first lodge, uh, for black men in Kansas was Western star lodge number one. Established in the year 1865 from the what's now the Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Ohio uh, Soon after that two other lodges were formed Euclid Lodge and Mount Olive Lodge And then the Grand Lodge was formed and they lived happily ever after when the Grand Lodge was formed in 1875 Please put a bookmark in your mind when I say 1875 because again, that's not true This is what kind of leads me to believe that this was a, uh, a false or this was, that this was purposely done I should say now what i was able to uncover was that there was actually there was actually a grand lodge of black men that was descended from Prince Hall and African Lodge 459 which preceded the Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Kansas which exists today the wow. prin- i won't say i won't say the Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Kansas was birthed out of that first body i won't say go, i will not go that far but they have a common origin point, they have a common story, and it is that common story which we published, uh, and I have it here in the most recent issue of the uh, Phylaxis Magazine, uh, where part one is published, and then part two will be coming out within the next month or two. Wonderful. Um, yeah. So uh, so yeah, it's, it was a very interesting story, and the best way I could sum it up, uh, I tell people, I, I, I always ask brothers, I say, to Prince Hall brothers, I say, have you ever read a story about Prince Hall Masonry in the wild, wild west. And brothers, most brothers will look at me and they'll say, well, well, no, I haven't. And I say, this is why. Because at that time, or at, at its height, I should say, King Solomon Grand Lodge of Kansas with uh, William Matthews as his grand master, uh, and when I say at its height, I'm talking about during the reconstruction era, post reconstruction era, uh, at, its, at its height, they had lodges as far as Cheyenne, Wyoming, all the way down to Texas. Wow. This is one sign of jurisdiction run by Grand Master William D. Matthews, who in after 1878-79, uh, there becomes a lot of controversy around him and the National Grand Lodge, uh, which is one of the reasons, which is the main reason why I believe that he, that this story was written out of history. Okay. Um, so do, do you want me to get into the formation of the, uh, the Grand Lodge?
0: Yeah, if you'd like to, go right okay, ahead.
1: Okay, okay, sure. So the truth of what happened, now that we've gotten the falsehood out the way, here's the truth of what happened. The, the truth is that uh william matthews was uh from maryland which actually which is uh, actually i live in maryland now and i'm not from here but um i'm a jersey boy <laughs> but but um he was born here uh he actually spent time in jamaica uh, he was born as a free man he spent time in jamaica uh, as a merchant eventually he becomes a grain merchant when he returns to this to the united states uh he was based in baltimore for a short time period and according to an obituary that i located uh, he became a Mason in the city of Boston in 1856. Uh, I do not know which uh, Lodger he was a member of, but I'm pretty sure that he joined what's now the Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Massachusetts. Pretty sure, but don't have it 100% proof. But in any case, what, what basically happens with him in a nutshell is that he uh, was affiliated with a man named Daniel Reed Anthony. Uh, you may know that name Anthony because most people haven't heard of Daniel Reed Anthony, but he had a younger sister named Susan B. Anthony. Mm. I'm sure you've heard of her once or twice, oh, right? Definitely,
0: definitely.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Daniel Reed Anthony basically, um, for whatever reason, um, he invites William Matthews out to uh, to Kansas to um, you know. He basically says, "Come out and see how you like it." You know, they both had abolitionist and Underground Railroad leanings. So he invites him out. At first, Matthews really did not want to go. I found that out. But he ended up coming out to Leavenworth, and uh, and he i guess he liked it he settled down or whatever and immediately he becomes active in underground railroad activities in 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 leavenworth uh based in based in um his house on shawnee street which i was actually just there not too long ago um and so what happens is uh during this early period uh some kind of a way and i'm not 100 percent sure on how i I imagine it was because of their civil war uh civil war uh affiliations and masonic association whatever the case was some kind of a way, William Matthews was uh, becomes a, m- a member of Enterprise Lodge, which was chartered from what is now the Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Indiana. And this is in 1860. This, was the, this is the first black lodge in Kansas Masonic history that, again, most people don't know about. Um, between 1860 and 1867, Indiana chartered two more lodges. And this is how I was kind of able to figure out what happened? They chartered J. S. Hinton Lodge and Mount Moriah Lodge. And when I found that J. S. Hinton Lodge uh, listed, I said, who, "Who the heck is J. S. Hinton?" You know, I thought I thought it was talking about John T. Hilton, who was uh, a Prince Hall brother uh, from from Massachusetts. But it didn't. I just kept seeing this Hinton name over and over and over again. So one day, I just used my friend Google and said, "Let me find who J. S. Hinton is." And lo and behold, he was the first Black uh, legislature legislator in Indiana. Um, he was a, a recruiter for the um, uh, for the Civil War for Black soldiers for the 54th and 55th uh, USCT, wow. and he was also Grand Master of the Grand Lodge up there during this period.
0: <laughs> wow! So it
1: kind of makes he's quite the resume. Yeah, exactly. So so Grand Master Hinton, you know, he got a lodge named after himself. How many of us, you know, would do the same, right? Right. So I'm happy that he left that calling card because that helped me to establish the lineage of the Grand Lodge that would come later. Now, what happens is this, and this is where uh, a, a lot of controversy kind of starts to boil over. In 1866, the, the what's now the Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Missouri, they established two lodges in Leavenworth also, um, Western Star Lodge and um, Far West Lodge. Okay? Now, you'll notice, I just said Western Star, right? Grimshaw... Claim that the first lodge in Kansas was was also named Western Star. There's there's a confusion there. There are two different Western Star lodges that people have to learn how to separate in their minds. And I was able to figure this this out. Okay, it's two lodges, two different lodges with the same exact name. Mm. But in any case, uh, what happens is that when Missouri establishes those two lodges in Kansas, they immediately receive a letter which claims to come from the Office of the Grand Master of Indiana, which states that those lodges were illegal, they should not be there. Uh, Grand Master H. McGee Alexander, uh, he, he believes it to be a forgery. He also made a statement that while he was aware that there had been a lodge in Kansas before, that lodge had not met for three years. So he, he, he believed that the letter was forged somehow. Uh, many people, well, I won't say almost a few people have said that they believe William Matthews to have forged this letter. I don't believe that the letter was forged. Um, I actually believe, uh, based on looking at CCFC reports of the time period, and for those who don't know, CCFC means uh, Chairman for Committee of Foreign Correspondence or, or um, where, where they talk about what's going on inter-jurisdictionally. Um, at that time period, I found a lot of reports where, where people complained that Indiana really wasn't sending out reports or they didn't know what was going on. So I really believe that uh, Indiana may not have even told Missouri or, or that these lodges were still going. Or what was happening? And we also have to factor in this is 1866. They said that well, that they that there was no lodge meeting for three years. Well, let's go back from 66 to 1863. What's the major event happening in 1863 in America at this time? It's the Civil War, mm-hmm. which, by the way, William Matthews and several others uh, who who were early Masonic pioneers in Kansas, uh, they were actually fighting. And Matthews himself. Uh, was one of the organizers of um, the first canvas covered volunteers which later becomes the 79th USCT so these guys were kind of busy <laughs> yeah to say the least <laughs> so, so whether or not they actually were uh, holding lodge or not continuously I don't know uh, right. I would love to find out but I don't know but the bottom line as far as they were concerned they were that was still territory that was blocked off but it really didn't matter because June 24th of 1867 uh, a convention was held, and they, the three lodges from Indiana and the two lodges that had originated from Missouri, uh, formed the King Solomon Grand Lodge of Kansas. And I have differing accounts of whether it was four lodges or all five or just three. But the bottom line is, by the time, by the end of the year, these five original lodges were all on one accord and had established the King Solomon Grand Lodge of Kansas with Captain Matthews as their um, their, their most worshipful Grand Master. Um, so so it was kind of a uh, it was kind of fascinating finding this out cuz I said wait a second this is not the history that had been printed you know so so yeah did, did you have any questions on that one or
0: No that, that that's intense I mean to be able to go back and actually prove people's history wrong and bring the evidence to support it I mean man it i'm infatuated with your work and i know I, I was kind of a lucky guest and got the uh a sneak copy of this paper um before you presented it and yeah I, I could just not even put it down you did great work and guys i gotta tell you brother morgan here is not just a masonic historian this guy is just a treasure trove like his research is top notch like reading this paper it, it was good stuff. <laughs> thank you. Like, <laughs> thank, you bro. thank you. Yeah, I I gotta definitely give you props on that. Uh your work is impeccable and I really appreciate for the uh you know, the amount of work that you put into the craft and the honor you put in there, man. It's we need more guys like you, uh, you know. We need more historians out there, just just plain and simply. So right
1: back at you, right back at you. <laughs> oh thank
0: you, bro. Thank you. So now, with this, you did get a chance to actually come down here to the local area here in Kansas. Unfortunately, I missed you. I know you were crazy busy yes. that weekend. Yeah, um, yeah. Definitely meet up with you next time. But Absolutely. How, was your, uh, how was your trip? I saw that when you were here, you posted, you actually found one of the lodges you were talking about, and you got a picture yes. in front of it.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, and, and, and the funny thing <laughs> and the funny thing was uh, I found Mount Olive Lodge number 3, which is on the Prince Hall Grand Lodge, right? Right. Um. And if if anybody sees the picture, they'll see on the front door they um, they have they say founded um, 1875, which is not true.
0: Right.
1: Uh, And we'll we'll get into that. Uh, So what what ends up happening with King Solomon Grand Lodge? They actually you know they were going along you know they did the normal stuff Grand Lodges do, establishing other lodges. Uh, not just in Kansas, but also in outlying areas um, like I said eventually getting to Wyoming and Texas um, I mean they had I mean what else that I, I, we found one event where they had uh, an excursion for black the black community from Leavenworth to go to Lawrence and have a picnic day parades um, you know you name it they, they had a they had a ceremony honoring like the fourth uh, anniversary of the death of President Lincoln or it was a fourth or fifth or something like that um, they're doing they're basically going along pretty normal right then 1869 happens. <laughs> what happens in 1869? I wanted to show you all this. This is actually the autobiography of Henry C. Bruce, uh, who, was, as I said earlier, was the older brother of, uh, of Senator Blanche K. Bruce. It's called uh, The New Man, 29 Years a Slave, 29 Years a Free Man. I definitely encourage you to check it out. Um, what happens is this, With and this is why I wanted to make sure I got grabbed this book. Uh, Henry Bruce... And his family were enslaved um, and as the civil war is raging on, he eventually escapes from slavery in Missouri into the, into Kansas uh with five dollars in his pocket he, he uses I think two or three of it, of his only five dollars he had to marry his wife that's the first thing he basically does and he basically you know just starts working and building up his life um at this time in Leavenworth uh in the end and and, and after the the Civil war is over um Leavenworth had a major housing crisis with, free, with, with, with refugees from slavery and, you know, all type of stuff is going on throughout the country, right? Uh, this is the world that Henry Bruce is walking into, and this is the world that William Matthews is, is kind of navigating also. These two men uh, lived and worked right in the same neighborhood. I, I actually was walking around there, as you said, a, a few weeks ago. Um, Henry Bruce and Matthews would have met at very important times in their lives. They were very different men, but with common, I think, goals of, of uplifting their community. Uh, as I said, Matthews was born free, Henry Bruce born to slavery. Well, what Matthews does is he utilizes the Masonic fraternity as a means of helping to uplift other black men and of uniting them into a common band of, of friends and brothers, right? We've heard this before. Um, what he does as, as members are joining is he eventually, uh, in his, in his own words, he states that uh, although these guys were getting degrees and stuff, that they were so uneducated about how the Masonic lodges were supposed to work that even the works for masters, he found them not proficient. So what he had to do was he actually hosted um, lodges of instruction for about like six months and mandatory. Everybody has to be there. Uh, these lodges of instruction would not have just been in Masonic ritual. Uh, evidence to me that, that we have found shows that he's probably teaching basic literacy as well, basic accounting, basic, you know, these are life skills that even in his book, uh, Henry Bruce said he didn't have. He, one of the things that he, he talks about uh, uh, when he became newly freed was he said he never had to actually think about feeding himself before as a slave, because his master always took care of that. He never had to think about buying clothes or dealing with money, because his master t- handled that. So these these men are coming out of a very, very traumatic experience, okay? Right. Um, So what happens, long story short, with Henry Bruce, though, is that some kind of a way, he ends up uh, most likely becoming worshipful master when one of the lodges there uh, in King Solomon Grand Lodge. He's actually appointed as Grand Lecturer for the entire state. And believe it or not, one of his brother, his brother-in-law by the name of Emmanuel Dillard, we'll come back to him in a second. Um, Emmanuel Dillard uh, also serves as Grand Treasurer. OK, so we'll, we'll put that right there. Now, there was another gentleman who was not a Mason. In Kansas in Leavenworth at this time by the name of Alan Pink's also known as George Thompson or George Thomas but his real name was Alan Pink's. Pink's was a complicated individual he was uh, of mixed-race heritage but he had worked prior to the war he had worked with slave catchers and slave traders he, during the war, also worked with uh, Quantrell, Quantrell's Raiders, and, and was active at the uh, raid, the, the Lawrence uh, raid, which I'm sure you're familiar with. If you're not, if you're not mm-hmm. familiar with, I definitely suggest you just check it out on your own time, this, this, this massacre that occurred um, in the city of Lawrence, Kansas. So you have a, black, a, a, a man of mixed race heritage, a black man, who had sided basically with the Confederacy for whatever reason, and now the war is over. He, there's a lot of tension surrounding this man. Uh, particularly with William Matthews and others in the black community um, What eventually happens is well and actually I found this what I'm about to say I found this out after we finished the paper um, We know that pinks had, had had several run-ins with William Matthews and others in the community uh, He actually set fire to uh, Or attempted to set fire to Matthews business as well as to Henry Bruce's business for whatever reason and What he didn't realize was that Henry Bruce was actually there in the building I didn't put this in the paper because I didn't know it at the time, but Brother Bruce was in the building, and he escaped unharmed, don't get me wrong, but he saw pinks with his own eyes do this. Okay. Uh, also, in, in Henry Bruce's life, uh, he had some financial issues uh, or, or disagreements with his brother-in-law, Emmanuel Dillard, who was a loo. Even though he was a mason, Brother Dillard was... On the rougher side of life, if that makes sense. And again, this is the Wild West we're talking about. Okay, uh, one newspaper account said that Dillard was the proprietor of the notorious Negro Saloon. No, I'm gonna put. The, I'm gonna say it again: the notorious Negro Saloon, whatever that means, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, anyway, um, in April of 1869, uh, as Brother Bruce is returning home, he's actually shot t- uh, twice in the chest, if I recall correctly. Uh, nearly dies, but does not die um, And this was the story that Miss Swanigan had told me all those years ago in 2014 That or that she had a clipping of but didn't know the full context, right? So now we find out that brother Bruce has been shot by Alan Pink's and Pink's is arrested He's he's ID'd by a friend of his Henry of of, of uh, brother Bruce's Henry uh, DuBois and he's arrested um, and charged uh, he, he was given two thousand dollars bail he could not make bail, and so the judge, you know, remands him to custody of the sheriff. Um, as he's being escorted from the Leavenworth courthouse back to the his holding cell, uh, William Matthews and about between 10 to 15 other individuals ride up on horseback in the middle of broad daylight uh, in the city of Leavenworth, and they shoot him, and and uh, he dies from his wounds a few hours later. Wow! Um, in broad daylight, and the newspaper accounts. Not only identify who uh, the individuals who were there and who's arrested, but they clearly state that uh, they believe that this was the work of the, the Negro Masonic Order uh, at work at that time in that area. Uh, and William, they actually refer to, to Captain Matthews as the highest muckamuck around, among the Negro Masons. Right. <laughs> so I, I was laughing when I think about that muckamuck. Um, but in any case, uh, Matthews is arrested uh, on a coroner's warrant. Um, several other individuals, Lafayette Collins, uh, Eli Symington, several other individuals are arrested. Uh, we have been able to identify most of the individuals who were arrested as uh, members of King Solomon Grand Lodge uh, from other records. Um, so it's clear that, th- that this, is, this is some retribution that's going on here. Um, Brother Bruce does recover, does recover and we spent uh, a good portion of the research trying to find out what happened to these individuals that were arrested and um, what we were able to find was that they were all eventually acquitted uh, or or the prosecutor refused to um, to prosecute for various reasons. Hmm. Um, the, the, the individual we have the most information on his name was Brother Jackson Cunningham. Uh, notice I said brother there. <laughs> uh, brother Cunningham's uh, jury trial Or his jury deliberated, I should say, for 25 hours. And eventually they said that they could not uh, convict him because witness testimony had changed. So we don't know, but I do wonder, were the brothers engaging in witness intimidation or other type of things? I mean, this is a very Masonic story, right? This sounds just like how Mason should act, right? Um so so that, that was the thing. But long story short, Jack Cunningham uh, is is acquitted. William Matthews actually escorts him. From, the, the, the trial. Had, the trials had been moved from Leavenworth to Lawrence. So William Matthews escorts him from Lawrence back to Leavenworth, and he's received as a hero. They're received as heroes by the black community in Leavenworth, and there's a big party thrown for them. When I got done researching this, my jaw dropped. Okay. I, just, I could not believe that this was Masonic history, but it was. Um, and so, so what, what basically happens after that is, uh, you know, is, is kind of why I think the King Solomon Grand Lodge runs into some further trouble. Um, so yeah, w- do you have any questions, or should I just keep, uh, keep oh, going? Keep,
0: keep going, I'm. I'm okay, soaking no it Up here,
1: no, no problem, no problem. Um, I do want to read. This is my, my favorite uh, my favorite part. Uh, William Matthews himself actually um, talked about this event in his Grand Master's Address in 1969. Uh, he actually stated, um, while the craft were moving forward, looking, working in peace and harmony and brotherly love, they met with a more serious attack, which caused great confusion in the craft as it once did in ancient times in, at the building of King Solomon's Temple. Excuse me. Brethren of the Mystic Tide, our peace has been disturbed by two or three ruffians who conspired together to take the life of our grand lecturer, Brother H.C. Bruce, and on the night of April 17, 1869, one of the ruffians, the notorious false-hearted kidnapping and Lawrence Raider, Alan Pinks, at low 12 o'clock, hid himself at the west gate of our Grand Lecturer's residence and attempted to take his life by shooting him through the body with a musket ball. Then, like a cowardly ruffian, tried to make his escape by way of the East. But his sins found him out and have overtaken him. And he is now receiving his just reward for the betrayal of the, men of, of the colored men, women, and children that he has kidnapped into slavery Also, the part that he took with Quantrell in burning and sacking the city of Lawrence, Kansas. The other ruffian, I will not call his name at present, but he is well known to the citizens of Leavenworth and walks the streets daily with the vengeance of an all-seeing eye watching his footsteps, while his sins rise up before him and stare him as black as the ink that falls from the damned angel's pen. And if justice does not overtake him in this world, he will receive it in another. Doesn't that just sound... It, doesn't that sound like a grandmaster's address that you'd hear every year? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounded, to me, I, when I read this, I was like, wow, this sounds like, more like a gangster rap uh, song than, <laughs> than a grandmaster's address. But right. this is the world that these men are living in. Um, I'll draw your attention to the fact that towards the end of that, that piece that I just read, he mentioned that there was another individual. Uh, evidence shows that the other individual that he was talking about was Emmanuel Diller, the grand treasurer who was, as I said, Henry Bruce's brother-in-law. What we found was that he and Bruce and Dillard had had a financial dispute, and later on, Dillard is actually arrested uh, on suspicion of having hired Pinkston to shoot his brother-in-law. So, I mean, that makes sense, right? That sounds like what an, any American would do. You know, if your brother-in-law owes your money, you hire a hitman and you kill him, right? Right, right. <laughs> 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 uh, so, so that that's what we were able to find on that note. And um, believe it or not, uh, Emmanuel Dillard mysteriously died the following year in 1870. Uh, early 1870. We don't exactly know who killed. Or, or, or see there, I'm, I'm about to say something. We don't know exactly how he died, but we know he died. I, I, I'm suspicious of something, but we'll leave it there. <laughs> right. In any in any case, uh, King Solomon Grand Lodge uh, kind of moved on from this from this chaotic episode, and uh, but national Masonic politics would come into play at this point. Um, Many people are not aware that from in 1847, um, uh, Prince Hall Masonry began an organization called the National Grand Lodge, also known as the National Compact, which was an organization basically that was created to govern the subordinate Grand Lodges in each state. And for, this kind of was going along okay. I mean, it, it, there was always a controversy surrounding this this practice, but it was that was established um, over time. Grand Lodges started saying, hey, wait a second, this is not a regular Masonic practice. We can get into the jurisprudence side of it. But, you know, of course, Mackey's jurisprudence is coming out and whatnot, and they're saying, hey, Grand Lodges are supposed to be sovereign unto themselves. And This becomes a very, very, very heated debate among black Masons at this time, some of whom are saying, hey, no, we need the National Grand Lodge, uh, which William Matthews was very much— on the extreme of that side. Uh, there are others who are saying, no, this, we need to let it go, or and in, in 1868 the, the jurisdiction of Ohio outright leaves the National Grand Lodge entirely. Uh, my Grand Lodge uh, in 1871, we left, uh, several other jurisdictions end up leaving that organization and basically saying, no, we are independent, we're, we're not dealing with the National Compact anymore. Um, what happens is King Solomon Grand Lodge, as I said earlier, was birthed from the jurisdiction of Indiana. However, Indiana itself came from, Masonically came from Ohio, and many of the brothers who had joined King Solomon Grand Lodge, the more experienced ones, were originally made in some way, shape, or form under the Prince Hall banner of Ohio, okay? So psychologically, I I believe that this had an effect on them saying, wait, if our mother jurisdiction is leaving, we should too. Right. William Matthews was opposed to this. Uh, however, what ends up happening is that um, an individual named Charles H. Langston, the older brother of John Mercer, Senator John Mercer Langston, also a Mason, uh, and Charles H. Langston is also the grandfather of poet Langston Hughes. By the way, um, John Mercer, I mean, excuse me, Charles H. Langston ends up coming into Leavenworth and in, in Kansas and in Missouri, and he's he, the way Missouri says it. They say he was preaching against the National Grand Lodge. Um, and although he starts off small eventually he's able to uh get people to follow him and get them to say hey we need to leave the national grand lodge alone and whatever william matthews wants to do that's fine he can stay over there but we we'll are leaving." um and so in 1873 he uh actually was able to receive a charter along with another individual who i have not talked about david gillette um, and they established a second Western Star Lodge, okay, at that time known as Western Star 34, under the, the jurisdiction of Ohio. So now you have King Solomon Grand Lodge on one side, and then you have this one lodge established in 1873, not 1865, okay, mm-hmm. which which is set up. Um, poor William Matthews is a fit. <laughs> And you know, slowly but surely, uh, people start to see things Langston and Lett's way. David Lett, mind you, at one time had been a member of King Solomon Grand Lodge and had a lodge named after him under that jurisdiction uh, early on. Um, in On January 1st of 1876, not 75, uh, the jurisdiction of Ohio actually grants two more charters to establish uh, uh, lodges in Kansas. And March 7th to March 9th of 1876, those three lodges come together to form what is now known as the Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Kansas. So you have, again, two different Grand Lodges, but with a common origin point. Um, And so I kind of ended the paper there. Um, I did talk a little bit about some of uh, Captain Matthew's other exploits, uh, particularly in Texas. Uh, the, The Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Texas is very unique. In that it is, although Matthews, believe it or not, his Grand Lodge actually planted lodges that helped form the jurisdiction of, like, Arkansas, Colorado, other, other places, right? The Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Texas, I focus on them for one particular reason. All of those original lodges that formed the jurisdiction of Texas for Prince Hall Masons, all of those lodges originated from King Solomon Grand Lodge of Kansas. Wow. It's the only, it's the only jurisdiction, uh, as far as I know, at least at this point where that is the case.
0: That's intense stuff. Okay. Now, have you yes. have you had the chance to uh, discuss this with the, the current Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Kansas? And if so, what, what's their take on it? Do you have any idea?
1: Um, yes, actually I have. Um, I did have a, a, a brief discussion. Um, I, I, got, I got the chance to meet the Grand Secretary and the current Grand Master of Prince Hall in Kansas. And um, the Grand Master had told me that he was aware of some of the events that I talked about, such as the shooting um, and whatnot. And they had a brother right. out there uh, who had done a presentation on it or something like that, but that they didn't know all the details. No one, no one had put the whole narrative together right. uh, in full package the way that I that that, that, that I had done. Uh, he was, I would say, he was he was receptive. Um, I did send them a copy of the uh, the, the PDF uh, of, of the paper, uh, and I I assume that he's a member of the Flaxist Society and that he would have received the magazine. I don't know for a fact. But, uh, but, but they but they are aware, and he and they, they were uh, they, they were pretty receptive um i didn't get i, I didn 't get like any critical response back or anything like that, but right. they, they were pretty much aware in general they were aware that something had happened before them, but they weren 't aware of all the details
0: hey i mean as as masonic historians we, we know one thing 's true: the right. history that we 're given is not always one hundred percent correct uh, i mean I, I can tell you this right now my lodge has our 150 uh, year anniversary coming up next year. So they're wanting me to write the uh, updated history book. So I was hoping to take, they, they wrote a book at the hundred year anniversary, hoping to take from right. that fill in the gap up to now. Well, as I'm reading the hundred year anniversary book talking about from day one up and I'm comparing it to the actual, uh, the minute books, uh-huh. It's more like a fiction story i don't know i don't know if the original books were lost during the time that you know this was written right. and it was more off just the minds of members but the point is that it was an official book that you know is in the local museum and library and everything and people was taken for fact and right. we look back and we can now prove that no this indeed a lot of the stuff was not fact so the the work that you've done here is crucial to Paint the true history because, you know, as as historians, we're trying to keep our brothers alive and be our brother's keepers in those way. Um, But the real story has to be told. So, you know, brushing brushing the dust off and bringing the truth to light, it's a huge responsibility, man. And, you know, hands down to you for the work that you've done here.
1: Thank you, and, and I'm add something else too. Because because one thing that happens in Masonic writing is that we, we once you put the final dot and you hit send and send it to your publisher, or whatever you're doing with it, um, you're always going to find stuff, stuff that happens afterwards. And one right. thing that I want to stress, particularly because you're a member of the of the Grand Lodge of Kansas, was it AF. And you are you guys are AF and AM. Correct. Am I correct? Correct. Right. Um, one thing I want to point out is that. I didn't mention I didn't know when I was writing the paper was that uh, I found out later that remember I mentioned Daniel Reed Anthony and how he had helped William Matthews and whatnot. I learned that he was actually a member of King Solomon Lodge number 10 under your jurisdiction so very early yes so very early on we see this kind of connection and I was very happy to see that today uh, um, that King Solomon Lodge number 10 and Mount Olive Lodge number three which was under the again the the Prince Hall Grand Lodge of today uh, those lodges actually meet in the same building today so I, I was—it was kind of—it was kind of nostalgic for me to kind of see those 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 jurisdictions come, or those lodges come together in that way because they do have a shared history, um, and and maybe you know since you remember that jurisdiction, maybe you'd be interested in researching uh, Daniel Reed Anthony a little bit more. But but definitely, I think it's very important that we tell these stories. Uh, again, um, Henry Bruce with 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 his book, um, the thing that was so fascinating about all this Masonic stuff for his family was that he mentioned nothing about Freemasonry in his book at all. And mind you, as I said, he actually served to give you some, some particulars on him. He served as Grand Lecturer, Grand Senior Deacon, Grand Tre- and Grand Treasurer, if I recall correctly, of the King Solomon Grand Lodge of Kansas. When the Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Kansas is formed, he is elected as their first right-worshipful Senior Grand Warden. And then later on, he becomes most worshipful Grand Master of that jurisdiction, of the Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Kansas. And again, he mentions none of this in his autobiography okay which kind of which kind of shows me the veneration that he had for Freemasonry on the one hand, but it also in my mind may indicate that hey, some of those lesser things that occurred with the shooting and stuff, let's leave that in the past let's not shine a negative light on on, on freemasonry um, but again, you know for me, I also look at it as a sociologist as well and say, well, let's look at the political and social implications of all this. Is it possible that the reason why William Matthews and those brothers kind of took justice in their own hands, is it possible that they didn't have faith in the legal system because of other things that were happening on the racial, you know, in race relations at that time? Um, is it possible that these men felt that Alan Pink said this was the final straw, you know, he, he's, this is the, the straw that's broken the camel's back? Is it possible? You know, there's many other ways we can go with this, but the bottom line is we see that Freemasonry and Masonic lodges are a unit of organization among men, uh, even in in very rough times. And I think that that's uh, one of the important lessons we can learn from King Solomon Grand Lodge's history.
0: Very much indeed. Well, brother, I want to thank you so much for, for taking the time to come on the show tonight and share this great history with us. You know, don't quote me exactly, but I was reading a quote online the other day that said basically, the only thing more harmful than a lie is a half truth. And yes. the work you've done here, brother, is to go farther and deeper in there to uncover the entire truth. So, very much want to commend you for the work you've done. Thank you again for coming on the show. And before we head out, I want to definitely hand it back over to you uh, if you want to give any shout outs for your show and everything else and how people can get oh, thank a hold you. of you for your research.
1: Oh yeah, certainly, certainly, certainly. Well, well, people can always email me. Um, my email address is jrmorgan919@aol.com. You know, feel feel free to to, to email me. Um, uh, as far as our show, the Prince Hall Think Tank, we do air the last Sunday of every month. Uh, we actually have not put a flyer out for this month, so I apologize for that. But we do have. Uh, I believe I think we're on like 25 or 26 episodes. We've covered uh, a variety of topics because what happens is in a lot of non-Prince Hall forums, uh, Prince Hall Masonry just roped into this one topic of Prince Hall Masonry, and what we decided to do was we wanted to go deeper and, and, and use the technology that we use today to tell our story. So we've, done, we've highlighted Prince Hall Masonry in different states, such as Florida. Uh, we have an episode, which I think you would like, called um, uh, Being a Young Man in an the Old Man's Fraternity, uh, we've done episodes on the National Grand Lodge, as well as uh, Prince Hall connection with Black uh, church history, and I mean all type of stuff. So, so uh, definitely um, check us out,
0: and, and, and you know we're, we're out here. So uh,
1: it's always a pleasure to be here and and, and talk with you, and I hope I, we can do this again soon.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. And I'll have those links available in the comments below and on the website and Facebook as well. So definitely encourage you guys to check out the Prince Hall think tank, check out brother Morgan for more of his research. And again, brother, thank you so much for joining us today and we'll see you soon. Thank you, sir. Travel light. Thank you again to brother Morgan for coming on the show today. It was great to sit down and have that chat with you and for you to come on and share that unique research on that historical light was very much appreciated. So thank you so much, brother. Now, before we wrap the show up completely today, I do got one thank you to send out. Um, you know, we recently featured on the episode a picture of brother uh, Mark and Bill that came down from Nebraska to support me when I was doing my, uh, my speaking engagement up at the Midwest Conferences. Now, as some of you know a little closer to me, uh, my uncle recently passed away. It was kind of a sudden thing, really caught the family off guard. Um, caught me off guard even more Uh, Just a few days after that, I got a letter in the mail uh, from Brother Mark and all the brothers at his lodge, and visiting brethren uh, sent me down this card, basically sending condolences. And it's signed by everyone that was in attendance. Uh, We have members there from Lodge 297, 300, um, 229, 54. I mean, there's just a ton of names there. It's very heartfelt. wasn't expecting it, but man that's that's Brotherhood right there, so I just i couldn't go on without making sure I sent out a proper thank you so thank you to all of you brothers that took the time out to uh make my day just a little bit better really means a lot, so thank you, brothers. Um, with that, I will say, please join us over at the Facebook group, and if you guys aren't aware of that, that is the historical light Masonic Research group on Facebook so if you 're not a member there search it today click join and we'll get you in we have some great historical topics going on on a daily basis so become part of the uh, communication there part of the conversation and uh, join today so we will see you over there until next time when we continue our quest for historical life have a great day